You're listening to a 3CR podcast created in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au. Welcome to the 3CR Gardening Show and a very good morning to all of you tuning in. It is 7.30 and we are here as usual to talk all things gardening. I'm Chloe Foster and I cannot do that by myself so I've gathered a very worthy team with me this morning. Let's say a warm welcome to Virginia Haywood, Royal Botanic Gardens Melbourne Guide and General All-Round Garden Guru. Stephen Ryan of Dixonia Rare Plants, another garden guru, and Emma Hurd, landscape architect and beautiful human being. Um, welcome, all of you. I think the wind blew us in this morning. Oh, goodness. Yes, yeah, the last – yesterday. We've got Macedon and Dandenong Rangers yeah. representatives this yeah, morning. Yeah, exactly. And uh, this morning, if the wind does drop off, I'll pick up most of the plants in my nursery. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> It's the worst thing, windy weather, when you run a nursery because just everything goes down and you try and pick it up and it goes down again and the more often it goes down, the more likely it is to get damaged. So you tend to leave things You do up. leave them down because otherwise they get damaged even more. Yeah, exactly. This, when I worked in nurseries as well, particularly retail where you have advanced plants, yeah. the stuff, yeah, the tall stuff in the bigger pots, they're top heavy. Yeah. They get knocked over. And I imagine it's quite hard if you're potting up bare-rooted stock at the moment. They're not exactly, <laughs> you know, uh, wedded into their pot. No, well, so I have to say, bare-rooted of... stock, I love to have at least a week to a fortnight of calmish weather after I pot them because you mm. get them looking all really nice and then the wind comes in and even though they haven't got much wind resistance because they've got no foliage on yeah. them, they tend to start rocking in the pots and then you've got to sort of settle them back down again and straighten them up again drives me nuts. But anyhow, <laughs> it's one of the worst things about nursery work is wind. Well, with me, having not been to my garden for six or seven weeks, I go home and yet another gum tree oh, have is you down. Any not, damage? Yes. Not, not to the house, but massive damage to mm. my very biggest grevillea. And I had a six-foot ceanothus, which I don't mm. have anymore. <laughs> they're not all that strong in the roots, the ceanothus. No. They're inclined to sort of topple over. It was just wind. knocked out of the soil. Yeah, doesn't surprise mm. me. They're, mm. they're one of those groups of plants. Mm. 
And so that was a bit distressing. It always is. But you've got to look at these things and say, oh, well, gaps and opportunity. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> so, but except you know, I was very – I just fixed up that bit. Oh, I was very happy with it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, you know, that's what happens. And, of course, I've got an opening coming up in four weeks, so something's bound to go wrong. Yes, yes. <laughs> you know, before an opening, you know, a tree will fall over or something. Well, look at me happen. last year. Yes, you had a big tree come down. I had a huge tree come down and the ground was too wet to get in and clean it up. Up. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And at least one person complained that I hadn't cleaned it. I mean, I cleaned up all the top end of it, you yeah. know, took out all the branch stuff, yeah. but couldn't do anything about the trunk because the ground was just too wet. And somebody said that they thought that was very poor, that the tree was there. Oh, oh goodness gracious me, some oh. people are never happy, are they? Well, what, the worst thing is I've left the tree, I've decided it's habitat and it's still there. Good. <laughs> and it's staying there. <laughs> it's been relatively dry, at least this winter. Not mm. in the past couple of days, but... Um, Has it? Yeah, it, there hasn't been mm. that much rain. Oh, I thought there had. I kept... Any time I looked when I was in London, I would think, oh, it's raining again and it's freezing. It's been cold. Oh, yes. It's been cold. Really cold start. Yes. There's definitely been like probably two-week periods without any, any rain. rain. Mm. But nonetheless, it's been a long, cold winter yeah. <laughs> and it's not over yet and, and I'm it, a bit tired of it, I have to say. It makes uh, it very difficult for um, installation of landscapes, <laughs> especially yeah. if you're using heavy machinery because oh, as yes. soon as there's a drop of rain... Everything just turns to slip and slide. And, and, and it's so bad for the soil to be yes, taking heavy yes. stuff on it. Mm. Yeah, you mm. do not want to create compaction. And you don't really want to dig mm. in wet soil. No. Not, no. no, if you can avoid it, it's better not to. Um, and, of course, I've got the biggest pile of shredding sitting there waiting to be shredded that are getting wetter and wetter and mm. wetter. So that'll be fun to get through the shredder as well once mm. I get round to doing oh. it, hopefully this week sometime. Mm. Uh, because I've been doing some major pruning around the garden. Have you? Yeah, yeah there's lots what of things that have been pruning? let go for a fair while. It just needed to be mm. cleaned up, some big old buddleias that I had to take sort of two-thirds out. And um, and all my clematis have been pruned back, all the deciduous ones, so there's great piles of that sort of lying around. That's uh, not easy to shred, No, nah, well, it's, it's all right if you can pull it out in strands, but if it's in big clumps, it just goes into the shredder and sits there, and you've got to try and poke it down through the shredder. What have the clematis been growing on? Uh, through other plants mainly. Yeah. So, so you had to prune the other plant as well? No, not or always. You, you pulled it through? Yeah, you just pull it out. Uh, it's surprising. Clematis is actually quite... Generally, most species are quite gentle in the way they hold on. So if you trim them off where you want to from the bottom and grab the bottom of the stem, I generally pull it up through the plant if I can mm. and then across. And it pulls most of it out. It'll leave leaf curls and things Tenfold. still on the on the host plant, but you get rid of most of it in I, one fell swoop. I think it is such an easy climber to work with, the yeah. clematis. Oh, they're, they're great plants. They really them. are. Especially and they flower for months. And late in the season like this, they become quite brittle and they yeah. just snap yeah. when you it's, want to take them It's easy, easy plants to use, and I use them a lot <laughs> through other plants because they give me double value for the same spot. So if I've got something that flowers at a certain time... Actually, I used to have a Viticella clematis, one of the mauve ones, growing up through my winter sweet. And that worked really well because I could prune the clematis down just before the winter sweet came into flower. And then in the summer when the winter sweet's just a big green blobby bush. A very, very ordinary blobby oh, bush. Oh, so yeah. ordinary. Yeah, yeah, yeah it is. It's, the foliage is glossy, I suppose. Yeah. It's about the only thing I can find to say about winter sweet in the summer is the leaves look shiny. Mm. Um, but then I had this lovely mauve clematis that ran over the top of it. But the winter sweet's got so big and there's another tree above that again that it just got too shady in that area and eventually the clematis failed. But 
But mm. uh, I got years out of it, and it was a great combination because I'd have the clematis, massive mo flowers. I think it was one with the rather naff name of Twilight or something, which seems like mm. a stupid name for I a do, mauve clematis. But anyway. I do like those viticellas. Yeah. I think they're fabulous. Yeah, and they don't tend to get clematis wilt either, so they're not mm. so prone to disease problems as the mm. great big Jack Manny eye hybrids are. Yeah, they get the powdery mildew really badly. Oh, yeah. And the other thing with the big Jack Manny eye hybrids, they're so big, they're one of those flowers that is so in your face that, I don't know, they dominate when they're in flower and you can't, you don't see anything else near them or around them or whatever. Mm. They're just so incredibly dominating um, that, you know, you've got to use them carefully. Otherwise, they're, yeah, it's just floral overload, really. Yes. So, yes, yeah, so I prefer the Viticellas because they're smaller in flower and they also have a very long flowering period, most of them. Uh, and, yeah, they're and some of the species ones as well, there's some gorgeous species clematis the well worthwhile growing so that you can run them up through other plants. I have found one that is weedy. Oh, that, that can happen, yes. It's the one that's in flower now. Oh, oh the napalensis. Yes. Yes, that, yes. that will sell seed. Of course, it depends on your definition of weedy. I just go around and dig up the seedlings and pot them. <laughs> <laughs> Yes. So, so you know, they, they create more stock for me. Right. Uh, but, yes, uh, Napalensis will sell seed around, as will Vitelba and a couple of the other exotic clematis. None of the others have for me. Yeah. And the other thing with clematis, which I always tell people, so I have to say it again, is mm. please plant it deeper than it is in the pot. Yes, mm. you need it's, some buds below ground level. It's one of the only things I can think of. What else, Stephen? Is there a couple of... Re- what are the reasons for that? I could guess, but you could tell me. Well, one, you get a better root system. Yep. They, it will root from those buds. Yep. And it, it helps with the clematis wilting. Yep. Yes, if you've got the big flowered ones, if they've been planted too high and there's no buds below ground level, clematis wilt hits at ground level. Uh, so if there's no buds buried, uh, then if clematis wilt hits, the whole plant dies. Right. Whereas if you get the fungal wilt and you've got buds below ground level, you just cut it off at ground level uh, and then those buds will regenerate the plant again. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. so I have to wrap my head around that, but yeah. Okay. Yeah, that's how it works. It's one of the things, if you can find how to grow them, mm. they are so easy. People find them really difficult, but I think that's because they tend to plant them somewhere where they get hot. Well, that was that's the other thing they need is cooler roots. I'm yeah. thinking roots just in the, the shade. deeper planting would help with keeping deeper the roots planting. Cooler. Yes, mm. the deeper planting helps for the coolness. Also, put stones or something mm. like that above them mm. around. You know, it's a will... slate. Anything just to keep yeah. the roots cool uh, that helps. And of course, the other reason for burying them below ground level is that if you do need to prune hard. You've got plenty of stuff that it will come back from below the ground. Mm. So um, you know that's the one of the sort of more obvious practical purposes of planting a clematis deep. In fact, I've been known to dig a hole, put the clematis root system down the hole, and then wrap the stem down into the hole as mm. well, with just the top sticking up. And then I end up with dozens of buds below ground level, and mm. it really it mm. really makes for a really good strong plant. You're doing that wrapping like it doesn't get root bound. No, because it's that? the stems no, the stem. you're doing that from, yeah. and then the, yeah. the where the nodes are it will root from each set of nodes and go down and in fact it's a good way to propagate them too so you're basically layering them uh, and so you can get freebies you know so it works quite well ridiculously expensive they are they are i mean tessalars has always been the place that's been a bit cheaper yeah but they've gone up in price there although i suspect i mean everything's gone up in price Mm -hmm. yeah look at lettuce (laughs) 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 So, yes, look, uh, plant material does 
I think it, it always hangs behind the rest of the cost of living generally, but it will slowly catch up. So, you know, mm. I've been putting all my prices up fractionally over the last year or two because all my expenses have gone up. Yeah. I got a truckload of potting mix the other day, a 10-metre truckload. It cost me just under $2,000 for a truckload of potting mix. Mm. Um, I mean, it, it goes through a lot of plants, but nonetheless, I use three, maybe four of those a year yeah. in my nursery. So, you know, 10 grand's worth of potting mix before I do anything else. Mm-hmm. And then you've got pots and then your slow-release fertilisers like Osmocote, they're about 150 bucks for cheap. a 25-kilo mm-hmm. bag. Um, so, you know, and when I get my summer water rates, mm-hmm. yes, I mean, it's about $3,000 for my summer water rate. Uh, and you have to earn a living. To- yeah, well, there's, it's a good yeah. idea if there's some money left over yeah. at the end so that I can enjoy can life. So you can buy your Vegemite right? sandwich. Yeah, well, <laughs> well, I had a great day yesterday because somebody bought a $950 palm. So, Ooh, yes. <laughs> How long have you had it for? Oh, about 18 months, I suppose. Oh, that's all right. Yeah, that's so not it's, it's not too bad. I've got two more of them, though. <laughs> oh. uh, so... Um, Yes, yeah, so it's not. It's a big day when you sell one of those really high ticket item things. It's mm. really. Good. And do you have faith that the new custodian will tend to it and and it will thrive? In the case it? of this gentleman, yes, I think so. Um, That's he always li- exciting. Yeah, I think. <laughs> he, he lives comparatively locally up near Kyneton, um, and his family came from the Adelaide Hills. His parents were really keen gardeners. He's bought a largish property with a lovely old Victorian house with the lace work and all that sort of thing mm. over there. Keen to have a really serious garden, uh, so I've been over and done a consultancy with him, oh, um, nice. and we're going to plant this amazing hawthorn screen along the front boundary with mm. mixed hawthorns. And he wants to put palms. He's going to have trilliums. He's going to do pines. the whole... hawthorn. I mean, you could have pines and uh, no, don't want pines. <laughs> I want the pines. ornament. Yeah, radiata pines. Yeah. You want to be able to underplant. Yeah. <laughs> Well, these hawthorns, uh, I would have probably myself planted a, a row of a single species, but he's muddled it all up and he's only going to have two or three of each and he's planting as many different species as he can mm. along his front boundary. I have to say hawthorn is another thing that I tend to find weedy. Well, only the monogyna. You're not mm. going to get the Mexican hawthorn or the French hawthorn or anything self-seeding around. So it's just a, Or the double-flowered ones, of course, because they're sterile. Um, so there's plenty of hawthorns that are safe enough. I do uh, love them. Oh, well, even the tree. weedy hawthorn is a pretty little tree, mm. uh, and it's not as big a weedy issue as it used to be because the rosellas have worked it out, and they don't mm. just swallow the berry and extrude it. They actually <laughs> crack the seed open and get the kernel out of the seed. Oh, so they're destroying the seed. So they're yeah. actually destroying the seed. So... I've noticed around our area over the last 10 or 15 years, we're getting a lot less hawthorn seedlings coming up around. Same with Pinus radiata because the yellow-tailed black cockatoos have worked them out and they are having a ball with pine cones. They go nuts on them. Yeah, they go nuts over pine cones. Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) And they throw them at you. They will, yeah. Yeah, well, they're they're naughty, but they're not as naughty as the uh, sulphur-crested, so I I love the yellow-tailed blacks. Absolutely. The the sound that they make is beautiful. Yeah. And yeah. there's a garden up the end of our street that's got a row of hakeas along the front boundary oh, and the people that. opposite have got radiata pines. And every season there's there's yellow-tailed blacks the everywhere buffet. and they're having a great old time. And when people want to chop down old radiatas, it's one of the things I say, hmm. don't forget that the that the black cockatoos need them. Yeah. Because become, we've knocked out so much of their native food. Yeah. 
we've got to be. And they've adapted to a, mm. uh, an exotic species, which mm. is fine. I mean, it, it's probably quite healthy for them as well. Well, uh, there's plenty of it. Yeah, which and, makes it and it means they keep them in control as well, which I think mm. is fantastic. Not that I'm going out of my way to plant radiata pines, <laughs> I have to say. Well, I find, again, I don't need to. They plant themselves. Yeah, well, they probably would plant themselves too. But, uh, yes, I've got two in my neighbour's property behind us, and one of them is comparatively close to the boundary. And it's getting harder and harder to grow anything in that spot along mm. my side boundary because um, the radiata has got a trunk on it, I suppose, nearly a metre in diameter now. And so it's quite a substantial tree. And, and they're no good for firewood. No, they're not. They don't burn well. Well, they burn, but they don't burn well. Mm. Um, so, uh, yes, and, and he seems perfectly happy to have any tree that comes up. He's also got a nice sycamore on my boundary, which I'm a little bit annoyed about because mm. um, they not... sell seed everywhere. Don't even talk to me about sycamores. There. Yeah, well, up in the Dandenongs, they're dreadful, and they're they're basically the same at Mount Macedon too. We've I mean, got they're all over thousands the... of them. Yeah, and our lovely neighbour, he he is truly lovely, but he's had one sycamore on his side of the fence for years, and yeah. he doesn't want to remove it. So. We drill and fill, drill and fill. Like, we're trying not to do that, to yeah. be honest. We try and go in the yeah, winter and pull them out when they're, they're young. Yeah. But as soon as that root is down, it, it jays and then... Yeah, you can't just pull them out anymore. You're really struggling. Yeah, yeah. so sycamore is one of those really dreadful trees in the hills country. And, I mean, I try and encourage people to take them down around Mount Macedon, but there are a few individuals around that are really important trees within a garden setting and you think well could you really encourage somebody to take down this 120 year old sycamore mm. tree that's a mm. big huge lawn specimen or in fact there's one garden up on Mount Madison has got an avenue of them and oh, in all honesty they are quite beautiful oh, trees lovely tree. they just uh, damage the ecosystem by mm. suppressing everything else yeah. the only good part about sycamores I've noticed up our way and I'm assuming it's probably started to happen in the Dandenongs the possums are starting to realise they're a food source yeah that's true yeah and so the uh, brush tail possums are giving this sycamore next door a bit of a hiding so I'm rather pleased about that mm. <laughs> yeah so you can keep that up yeah yeah so it's the one thing I'm very happy for them to eat in the garden mm. The one thing. I'll try and, yeah, I'll try and channel our possums yeah, in that yeah, direction. Yeah. My brother has been feeding his possums for years <laughs> and it, and he's, he's now got magnolias and all sorts of things that he didn't, well, he always had the trunk, but that was all. Mm. But now as he's feeding his possums, because, oh, you know, possums happy. are very territorial, yep. so if you can just deal with your own, I mean, people who go and kill them are just going to get more, it's not going to work. Feeding them, he has found his stay... And they're leaving. As I said, he's now got mm. he's now got flowers. Oh, a B A B Bishop feeds a couple of possums that live near that live around her house. One of them was called Mrs. Poss Poss, which I'm sure <laughs> listeners have heard her talk about. Um, I think I'm not. We're not sure if Mrs. Poss Poss is still around, but she does feed them, and, and they don't have mega. I mean, mm. they live in a really a true bush setting, mm. and they do not have mega mm. possum issues. Well, I've got a neighbour behind me that feeds the possums, and I'm sure they're inviting their relatives into my place. <laughs> we mm. need to start feeding their rellos. <laughs> but they don't. I mean, the fact of the matter is they are territorial. So. Yeah, but I, I think that their territory, it's only a neighbour right next to me, oh. so they would consider my garden their territory Absolutely. as well. Yeah. Um, and I wonder... The thing that worries me is that if you start feeding them, then the issue is that they might in fact breed up because there's a higher food source. So mm. I wonder sometimes whether it's not counterproductive long term. I don't know. But anyhow, 
I've started sort of earmarking trees that are no longer performing well because the possums are giving them a real hiding and I'm going to have to start rethinking what I'm planting. The issue is that you don't always know whether the next thing that you plant is going to be a possum food tree either. Well, also, you you know, you find something that hasn't been a possum tree for absolutely yonks and suddenly they discover it and bang, it's gone. Yeah, and they do. They just go at it and at it and at Mm. it until they've generally killed them. And I've had quite a few trees in the garden. And they definitely prefer exotics. Mm, They Mm. do. Let's continue this possum talk in a moment. We must get to a couple of community announcements and then open up our phone lines. Uh, The Geelong, the Friends of Geelong Botanic Gardens are doing a guided walk. It's this afternoon at 2pm through Eastern Park. Eastern Park, which is adjacent to the main botanic garden. Yeah, it almost surrounds it. Yeah. It's this big parkland area around the body of the garden. So there's some really old specimen trees, some heritage-listed trees, a beautiful water garden, some statues. Um, The walk is about three to four kilometres, mostly on paths, but if you do go, wear suitable shoes. The guide taking you on the walk will meet you at 2pm at the front steps of Geelong Botanic Gardens. It's such fun. a beautiful garden. Oh, it's great. We were down there. The uh, uh, Plant Trust went down to Geelong area a couple of weeks ago, or three or four weeks ago, um, and we had a lovely walk around the gardens, and they're doing so much down there now. Mm. You know, their mm. Pacific Rim garden that they're getting organised out to the side and their 21st century garden sort of in the front. Yeah. Some wonderful trees in that. Yeah, Fabulous things from all over the world. They've got some fantastic themes in mm. there in, and collections yep. yeah. in different gardens. And it's worth going there just to look at the ginkgo. Oh, that's yes. what I was going to say. I'm glad <laughs> yeah. one of us brought it up. Yeah, oh, that ginkgo. ginkgo tree is just remarkable yeah. at any time of the year with that amazing trunk. Yeah, if you do go to Geelong, the ginkgo, you go through the main gates and just keep going down the path. Yeah, and you get the almost to the sort of nursery area at the back yes. of the garden and the ginkgo's in a yep. lawn there and it's a heritage-listed tree. Uh, it started to produce aerial roots um, and it's got this wonderful big lumpy bumpy trunk mm-hmm. on it and it's just a magnificent tree. Yeah. yeah and if anyone wants to see some photos I think Chris Williams put some on his Instagram a couple of weeks ago mm-hmm. so yeah. maybe. People Plants look. Landscapes is his Instagram. Yes. Yeah. yeah it's great. Emma, encouraging women in horticulture have got some things coming up. Yeah, um, we've got our AGM coming up, and we like to couple our AGM with a with a speaker. So this year we're having permaculturalist Beck Lowe join us. Uh, so we're having our AGM, which only takes half an hour. So please yes, join. Don't, yes, don't be frightened. <laughs> yeah, don't be frightened of the AGM. It's it's a small formality, and it's it's good for anyone that doesn't know our organisation to come to an AGM if you haven't been before, and you can hear about everything we've done in the past annual year and yeah uh, hear about all our financials as well which you know some people are interested in Mm. Um, (laughs) you never know i mean the past few years have been interesting because of covid you know yes yes. so yeah um but becklow's a wonderful permaculturalist and we'll share a meal together so um for members it's 60 dollars. for non-members it's 70 dollars. we have had some questions about our prices recently but we do pay our speakers and we do have scholarships and we try and support women in the industry as much as we can. So we find that our prices are fairly commensurate with the value that we offer. Um, And I'm happy to engage in conversations about that with people if they're interested and want to talk to me about it because I I think it's important to have, 
you know, well-priced events and make sure that as many people can come to them as possible. So happy to engage if anyone wants to. Gardening knowledge and yeah. plants in general have always been undervalued. Of course yeah. they are. It happens with I every organisation. I still get garden clubs that ring me up and assume I'm going to go and talk for them for nothing. Yeah. And you think the price of petrol and all your time involved and organising your plants if in you're going to talk to live plants, yeah. um, it's just ridiculous. The I constant mean, knowledge and study yeah. that we're always doing to stay up to date. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, the days of getting Mrs. Kafoops's chocolate cake are over. <laughs> well, yeah. I will take the chocolate yeah, cake. Yeah, I would take the chocolate <laughs> cake as well. But yes, you do have to, yeah. you know, I think all clubs and societies and groups need to see their speakers as professional people and they need and i mean we're miles behind doctors and solicitors and and Mm. all these other people that go out and talk at Mm. uh, events and symposiums and stuff they charge thousands yeah and another thing i'd say is as an organization because we are a non-for-profit we are still happy to talk to people if someone is experiencing you know inability to come to events and they really want to have a chat with us we'll Mm. subsidize you if we can um we'll we'll Mm. figure out ways to make things more affordable for you so Mm. so don't shy away from engaging with us as an organization because we 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 care (laughs) um so yeah come along to our agm if you would like to um it's on the 18th of august at the um q postmaster hotel um and all the the details are at www.ewha.com.au beautiful thank you emma i will open our phone lines now if you have any questions for us or you just want to tell us, have a humble brag about something in your garden, <laughs> the number is 94190155. Our text message line is 0488809855. We are on Facebook and Instagram. We're called the 3CR Gardening Show on both of those sites. Uh, our email, now we'll say this, um, since coming out of lockdown the last couple of years, it's been a slow build back up to, you know, the piles of community announcements that we used to have. Mm. If you are listening, you are a local gardening group or any other organisation tuning in, send, um, and we're happy to, I only had one this morning and there was, um, you know, there's only a couple in the last, you know, last couple of weeks too. Please um, email us gardening at 3cr.org.au. We would love to spruik any community gardening events that are going on so please keep sending them in um our number is 94190155 we've had a text message come in early so um it's about fruit tree pruning guys so pete from williamstown has just starting in his garden journey and he purchased a bare root fruit tree at a cherry is that lapins yeah lapin is a self-pollinating cherry variety in a 52-litre pot. Um, Emma, can you read that? I, it's, I'm a bit too far away. Uh, it says, All of the branches are upright and it was very happy in spring, summer, but no cherries so far. How well, do a bit I, early. Yes, <laughs> it's a bit young. How do I prune it now? And will branches develop from the thin central leading trunk between the base and the top? I'm really enjoying gardening. Pete from Williamstown. So there is a really handy video on YouTube that Tino and Gardening Australia did. It's called Winter Pruning Tips and Fruit Tree Pruning. He prunes a, a juvenile fruit tree there. So jump on to that video, Pete. But does anyone else? Have yeah, well, to say? I'd have to say with cherries because they flower along the. Uh, wood that they produced the previous year. Once they start to get to a size, you don't want to prune them too hard. Uh, but you really just 
shaping your tree basically so you take branches down probably about a third of the way down outward facing buds try and get that vase shape to your tree um, and that also helps keep it down a little bit and I generally do with cherries now I generally do a bit of a summer prune as well uh, because the winter pruning tends to invigorate your trees and send out really strong growth but if you top them back a little bit in in summer after you've cropped the fruit if you had any um the new growth then tends to be shorter. So you're keeping your tree in in bounds because the big problem with a cherry, they can grow enormously big and you can't get at the fruit unless you bring in a cherry picker. And the other thing you can't do is you can't deal with the pear and cherry slug, yeah, mm. which yeah. you must deal with early in the season. Mm. If you catch your pear and cherry slug, if you've got an open fire or if you've got if you cook cakes and you've got lots of flour in your kitchen, mm. or you've got some of oh. Granny's old lavender talc left, <laughs> <laughs> right? So ash or talc? Yeah, something yeah, soft and dusty flour. and yeah. yeah, flour out of your pantry. Flour, yeah, just chuck it onto them and try and get that first hit, mm. which is in spring. Mm. If you get that, then you don't tend to get yeah. a bad. You need to see the little buggers there. There's mm. no point in throwing it up there if they haven't actually arrived yet or, or hatched. They're nasty too. They're very they slimy. Are, They're tiny have, and yeah. slimy. Yeah. They're so I have to say, though, I tend to ignore them a little bit these days. Mm. I mean, I get my nashi pear gets them, my cherry gets them a bit, um, my other pear gets a little bit of cherry slug. Um I've never had it in such really bad quantities that it's made that much difference to the vigour of the tree. So My cherries get it really bad. Do they? Yeah. I don't try, I don't harvest them. I just mm. feed the cockatoos. Mm. It's owl. One other small note about pruning is if you can prune, make your cuts at an angle. Don't mm. cut them flat on top so that water doesn't pull on your cuts. And also make sure you clean your secateurs regularly. Mm. Yes. yes, it's all those things that I tend not to do. Yeah, the cleaning uh, <laughs> of secateurs. It's, yeah. yeah, I'm like you, Stephen. Yeah. I don't do it, and it's so foolish. It's, yeah, it's yeah. One hard. day we'll come unstuck, Virginia. <laughs> and, and and on the fruit tree pruning again, like you were saying, in in temperate climates in Australia, it is better to do a heavier prune just after harvesting. Yeah, yeah. Summer pruning is a good idea. I think with what we're finding in in the winter pruning is. The plant's gone into dormancy. It's taken all of its energy from its mm. outer fruiting branches, mm. taken it back into the main part of the plant and the root system. So this, by the time springtime comes around, it starts to grow again. That's why you get all that mm. vigorous lateral growth yeah, mm. it goes because nuts. there's so much energy and it's got to put it all somewhere. Mm. Whereas if while it's gr- actively growing in the warmer months after it's fruited, you're actually removing some of that energy from the plant. Yeah, because you're taking leaves off and yeah. stuff. So, you know, it is mm. going to slow the plant up a yeah. bit. Um, and I think also the other thing to say is to the man in Williamstown mm. is that don't when for a young plant, don't be obsessed with getting the cherries. For a young plant, mm. get the shape. Yep, mm. absolutely. Yeah, I must say, last year I planted five cherry trees and did not prune hard enough, and they all died. What? Because well, it could have been an issue with graft. Mm. They were bare rooted. There might have been an issue with the graft, but I just think that they were quite old. Mm. That when they've been, you know, lifted. And they just did not react well mm. to... I have to say, one thing with bare-rooted trees people need to be aware of, sometimes it's not your fault. Mm. Mm. Uh, the growers lift masses of trees, mm. and I've been up to some of these growers after they've been lifting, and they and their tractors go through and they basically trench under the trees. They're pulled up, they're mm. stuck on the side of the, the trenches. The root systems were very small and yeah. the tree was... 
quite large. Yeah, well, certainly it would have been a good idea to sort of bring them more into line with each other. But sometimes the trees aren't well cared for out in the Mm. paddocks. And if the bundles sit out there too long, the root system can dry out. You can't tell that the tree's already had its root system dried out Mm. because by the time you buy it from the nursery, they've rehydrated it and it's Mm. in their sawdust pit or whatever they're doing. Mm. In my case, I generally pot up my bare-rooted trees as soon as they arrive so that if I don't sell them before the end of winter, they're already potted and I don't have to go through that whole process again. Mm. So I pot them up as they come in and if somebody wants one bare-rooted, I just hoik it straight back out of the pot again. Mm. Uh, And that way too, I'm not letting air and light into other trees in a pit, which is something that always worries me. So sometimes it's not the buyer's fault. Mm. Uh, So bare-rooted trees can be... Yeah, strike rate is not as high for them. Interestingly, we planted about 70 fruit trees and it was all the cherries that died. Cherries have a weaker root system than... Yeah, some of the I other fruit trees. Yeah, I think that's what I discovered. Yeah. Uh, and so I think the other thing is it's really important to prune bare-rooted. Yes, mm. yes. You've got to prune it by about a half. Yeah, yeah. don't be afraid to it, – it looks a bit drastic when you do it, but it's worthwhile oh, doing. Yeah. yeah, so there you go. So I hope that helps with the fruit trees and mm. enjoy your gardening journey. Yes, enjoy it. Good luck, Pete. Um there, someone's text in saying there is a heritage-listed variegated sycamore in the Geelong Botanic Gardens. <laughs> Good. Mm. Thank you for that. Tongue in cheek. Um, this listener, Virginia, you've got a fan, also would like to know, Jin, when you are next doing a guided walk through the Botanic Gardens. Well, I'm doing a couple. I will look them up and I'll tell you. Get back to me. <laughs> that, um, I'll give out our phone number again if anyone wants to call in and join the show. Um, our number is 94190155. It seems a couple of listeners have got our text uh, number again, but that is 0488 809 855. Um, Stephen, you brought in these little flyers this morning. Oh, yes, yes. I, we should mention it. and It's a little ways off, but... Uh, after two years of uh, unsuccessful garden openings in that they were closed up, um, my garden is going to be the first cab off the rank for the spring season uh, and we're opening the last weekend in August, so the 27th and 28th of August, uh, from 10 in the morning to 4.30 in the afternoon. Um, I'm so looking forward to having the garden yeah, open again good. after all this time. So it's been nice to, for OGV to mm. open Gardens Victoria to get get up and running again. Yeah, and, yeah. To and look, it's gardens. been dreadfully difficult. I mean, uh, twice we tried to get my garden open, twice they printed brochures and twice they had to lock it down again. Oh, no. And so there was mm. expense involved as well, you know, mm. so it's not just, you know, the fact that the gardens hadn't been open. Um, but... I've booked in. I'm so excited. Oh, good, good, good. <laughs> well, I hope you're not overly... Let down when you get there then. Um, no, you, you won't be. But anyhow, so I'm be. working really hard to get organised for it. Um, we haven't decided yet whether there'll be teas or anything available. There might be. Uh, the local Hort Society might serve some cups of teas and things. But Craig will certainly have his art on display in the garage. So the garage will all be set up as a, a gallery uh, with all Craig's art and cards and all that sort of stuff. So uh, so there will be botanic art to see as well. And obviously I'll be swanning around the garden answering people's questions and things. Beautiful. And, you know, yeah. Why does that look dead? You know, all those things. Because it is the winter. And this is the thing I find really interesting is that there's so many people that will only open their garden on the second weekend in November or whatever mm-hmm. because their roses are going to be at the peak then or whatever. And you think, well, what's the garden like the rest of the year if there's yeah. nothing to see? I, I love my nice. garden in winter. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I love it. And yeah. all, I mean, I've got 31 camellia trees. Mm. 
And they've started. Yeah. I do too. And they'll I like... be pink and they'll be white and they'll be red. <laughs> yes, yeah. They are. And I like letting all the perennials get completely dead and mm. just letting them exist in the left. Yes. Yes, that, that's a bit confronting to some, uh, yeah. this, this idea of dead biomass standing up in the garden. Uh, mm. But, but it's I've, becoming more common for I, people to I do. I killed one of my Mexican um, daisy trees yeah. the, by pruning it too mm. early. Mm. I mean, you prune some things early and they just can't take the cold. Yeah, some of the salvias mm. don't like it either if you mm. prune them too early in the season. Um, but, uh, yeah, I, I like my grasses to stand up for as long as possible. Yes, me too. Uh, they look wonderful. Yeah, I winter. like that sort of beigey sort of foam mm. that's created when the grasses go over. And sometimes you get little critters, you know, making gorgeous spider webs in yeah. them and you get the dew mm. on them. You know. But there are some plants that go down really badly. And they need to be dealt with. Uh, one of the ones I've got in the garden at home is the variegated oboe reed, um, Arundo donax, in its variegated form. And in the spring when it erupts out of the ground, it's got the most amazing stripy variegated foliage. But by this time of the year, it looks dreadful. And so it needs to be cut down and that will be done this week. And the pineapple lily. Oh, God, yeah. yeah. Well, that, oh, that turns disgusting. to slime. Yeah, there's <laughs> slimy things. Oh, sure. yes, they're awful. If you've got a bed down. of hostas, you'll have a bit of slime going Yeah, on. yes, yes, they can do the same thing. Quite, not quite as badly. Now, I've just checked when I'm doing my walks. Oh, good. I'm doing two in August, one on Sunday afternoon, the 14th of August, and one on morning of Friday, the 19th of August. There we go. So if anybody would like to join me, that would be fun. I yeah. love it when now, I get three Now, if people want to come along, yeah. do they just rock up? Well, you can book it online, yeah. which we like because it tells us that there is actually somebody coming. Yeah. yeah. Well, yeah. But you, you can just rock up as well. You just rock up to the visitor's centre. Mm-hmm. So that would be fun. And can I say also, I went to an exhibition yesterday at Melbourne University at the old quad called Emu Sky. And it was, I thought, really interesting. Um, it was fascinating. It, it sort of questions the historical erasure of Indigenous knowledge and the caring for country. And it talks, it talks about that. It's a lovely exhibition. And they have a whole wall where they have named many of our plants with the Indigenous names. Oh, now, Murnong, of course, is one that has stuck. Mm-hmm. But... Banksias and all sorts of other things they've named, and they've got they actually have posters that they you can take one if you want with the Banksia or the Lamandra or whatever with the indigenous name. That's fantastic. We are seeing this a little bit more often with place names, but that's fantastic. Mm. With actually speaking of Melbourne Mm. Uni, some good news the garden staff looking after the systems garden have now got tenure. Oh, they fantastic. were going to get rid of them and put in contractors. Yes. Uh, and I was talking to Vir- Virginia McNally, who's the head gardener down there. Tim Ubergang has moved to the Botanic Gardens in Melbourne because he got sick of the toing and froing and what was going to happen. Mm. Uh, but Virginia has been given tenure. So oh. And the RBG is absolutely thrilled to have tenure. Yes. Well, I what bet they would be. He's fantastic. He's, He's a lovely man. He um, uh, but Virginia is still in the systems garden and she was up buying some really rare plants for it the other day and she's very excited and I'm so pleased that the university oh. has seen sense. Yes. I cannot believe that a tertiary education place like that would think it's a good idea to get rid of well-qualified mm. staff to put in contractors into the garden. I well, mean, it makes excuse, no sense. Excuse me, Stephen. Mm. Let's just have a look at what they did to Burnley. When I went to Burnley, oh, you God, could yes. be doing a Cert 4. Mm. So there was, in my classes, there was a whole lot of 17-year-old youths who didn't know what a plant was. 
yes. to a PhD. Yeah. I mean, it was the most extraordinary spread of people who mixed. Yeah. Now the only thing you can do is a postgraduate course. I mean, that, Melbourne University has destroyed Burnley. Oh, dear, it's sad. Just, it's a but anyhow, the good news faculty... is Virginia staying where she That's was. That's wonderful. Which I'm really pleased about. Mm, so so really if you're listening and, in this morning, Virginia, well done. And also, can I encourage people, if they're around Carlton, to go and see this exhibition. It's a free exhibition. It's the old quad mm. at Melbourne Uni, Emu mm. Sky. It's really worth it. Mm. All right. Fantastic. All right, team, we have our first caller <laughs> for the morning. Um, let's welcome Michael from Forest Hill. Good yeah. morning. Good morning. Yeah, look, uh, that's very... Um, that um, message about the quad, is, um, that sounds very interesting. Um, but uh, j- j- just quickly, I, I just wanted to make a comment. Um, um, my, my thinking is, um, you know, that people... I, I'm, I'm just wanting to encourage people to plant, um, considering that when the summer hits... We always need shade. We always need, and we we forget um, um, that. So, um, I guess my comment is, um, uh, you, you know, now's the time to be putting things in. Um, I, I was just walking around here, you know, um, actually yesterday, and thinking, um, you know, what, what you know, what it's like when it's when when the heat hits. Mm. Uh, <clears throat> Yeah. And so the heat is getting worse too, Michael. I mean, if you have a look, yeah. we've got Indeed. 40 degrees in London expected tomorrow. Oh and my it's God. a very concrete city. It will yeah. be absolutely vile. And yeah. what we need is deciduous trees because we need that summer. Yeah, nothing, nothing against yeah, that na- winter sun. Yes. Yeah, nothing against native trees and eucalypts, but they don't lend themselves in their uh, physicalness to throw enough yeah. shade. Mm. Yeah. They don't have the broad. Leaf that's, that's right. horizontal a lot of the time, or at Indeed. least at the right angle. Yeah, mm. yeah. Well, they have their leaves on an angle, so they let the mm. sun through, not exactly, catch it. exactly. So, They're like yeah. Venetian blinds that are <laughs> yeah. not not going the right way. Yeah, yeah. So I just thought I'd, I'd bring that up as a topic. Um, I'm, I'm um, yeah, and I, and I agree with you about the uh, the uh, situation with with uh, the campuses and all that sort of thing, Burnley and so on. Um, I studied at uh, at Holmes Glen, um, but uh, my God, I think we need to uh, to uh, you know. Hopefully, people will will uh, get back to study um, horticulture. You know, one one positive thing I can say towards Burnley is that the faculty that is in place for the courses that they do have on offer are a very good faculty. Mm. Uh, there is just a lack of courses. Mm. Mm. Yeah. Yes, yeah. absolutely. I mean, there's yeah. wonderful staff there, and there mm. always has been. Yes. Yeah. All right. Look, I'll, I'll get out of your way. I just, oh. um, I, I just, um, yeah, just uh, couldn't help myself. I had to, I had to, <laughs> I had to get on radio and tell everyone to go and plant. I couldn't help myself. <laughs> we like that. That's mm. great. This yeah. is the right platform for it, Michael. Yes. So it's thank our you. raison d'être. <laughs> oh, okay. Indeed. Thanks for yeah. calling, Michael. C'est bon. C'est bon. Yeah. <laughs> Talk oh, to you right. soon. Uh, just used about all my French then. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I know some swear words, but I don't even think we're allowed to swear on air in another language. No, because so. we have so many different language groups that engage <laughs> yeah, with this, these programs. Someone. Yeah, you'd be bound to offend somebody. <laughs> oh, dear. Our, our numbers again are 94190155 if you want to join the chat this morning. Our text line is 0488 809 855. 
For anyone podcasting or if you want to share any community announcements with us, please send us an email, gardening at 3cr.org.au. Now, the text line can't receive images, so if you want to send us an image, you'll have to email it to us. Before we move on to talking about some plants, I do want to remind people that we did have Radiothon a few weeks ago. Oh, yes. We still have a bazillion books <laughs> left. We had so many donated this year. It was crazy. There are still books left. There's still a lot of product left as well. So some sea salt containers um, and a few other um, gardening products like that. Please call the station. Um, during business hours during the week, have a chat to them and see what's available. Um, you'll still be able to pick up a few bargains and that will still contribute to the fundraising uh, to keep the station running. So during the week, if you call the number 9419-8577, I've just, I've just gone blank on the number, 8377, <laughs> 9419-8377. Sorry, guys. People could probably call in during business hours too, you couldn't they, and rat into, through. You and can come into the studio and rat through. Yeah, yeah. because with, then you could come in and have a look. Yeah. Yep. You could have a look through the books that are there. And, and the books, there is an absolutely stunning collection of books. Yeah. There, there are some very unusual and quite rare things there because yep. it's an, uh, an old collection that was donated to us, so it is really worth having a look. Yep. Stephen, let's get into some plants. All right. Oh, where do I start? Where do I start? Actually, I'll start with the one I had to put out the the door. Get the the smelly one. (laughs) Yeah, the smelly Mm. one. Um, Yeah. I won't bring it in. We've all seen it. Um, uh, It was funny because I'd forgotten I'd put it in the van last night. And when I got into the van this morning, I went, what's that Mm. smell? Uh, And then it suddenly dawned on me what I'd put in the back. Better smell than what I get into my car. Sorry for interrupting. I left my compost bin in the car. Yeah, yeah, well, that's not a nice idea. No, no. I go around to the local supermarket and collect the greens every night from work. And sometimes if I'm running late and it's too dark to deal with them when I get home, they stay in the van. And the next morning you get in and, you know, there's a smell of overripe tomatoes and rotting zucchinis and all sorts of Mm. disgusting stuff in there. Um, But anyhow, I got in the car this morning and what was in the car that I'd forgotten I'd put in was a plant that's commonly known in England as Christmas box. Um, It's botanically Sarcococca confusa, although there's several species of Sarcococca. There's Ruscifolia, there's Humulus, there's uh, Sinensis, there's a whole range of them. And they're all smallish evergreen shrubs, very, very shade tolerant so they can go into quite dark shade um, and they have a foliage that's not dissimilar to an English box bush hence the common name and it flowers in Europe at Christmas but it flowers here in the middle of our winter obviously mm. so it's in flower now and the flowers are tiny little they're just basically yet white stamens uh, there's no petaloid stuff to them or anything like that so you've got these little white stamen things that run up the stems and the perfume is quite strong as mm. people here would attest to because yeah. I bought it in the studio and Virginia made me take it out again um but in the garden it's a wonderful perfume it makes a really good alternative to boxes the box bush if you're looking for a little hedge for a shady spot because uh, yeah. it has a similar look and when and- the flowers finish they produce berries and this year's flowers will often be on the plant at the same time as last year's flowers berries so you often have the berries and the flowers at the same time. So do the berries hang on or do they oh, take yeah, they hang on to for develop? ages. Right. They, and they do take a long time to develop as well too. <laughs> but they hang on the plant for ages. Uh, some vari- some species have berries that are a dark sort of cherry red. Uh, Confusa, the one I bought in this morning, has a jet blackberry. Mm. Um, so not overly obvious, I guess, but pretty at close quarters. But uh, if you're hedging them, you won't really get the berries if oh, you, you hedge will them still. after. Okay. 
Yeah, you'll still get the berries because they flower along the stems and so the berries will be just further back into the plant, but you'll still get berries on them and you'll still get flowers. So if you trim them, and because they're slowish growing, if you're going to hedge them, you'd only really need to trim them once a year, uh, probably in spring, uh, allow them to bush up again, then they'll flower for you for the following year. Um, and I think sarcococcus are one of those very useful but underutilised plants in this country. And, and I if- think also having – they perform so much better than box does in shade. Oh, yeah. Because box doesn't really like no, shade. It, no, it, it becomes thin and, and wispy. The, and I think having a hedge of something that is slow growing, if you're talking about a low mm. hedge, yeah, not and a you, hedge you'd, up you'd keep it under head. a metre. Yeah. Um, and if it's slow growing, you don't have to work so hard. Yeah. And so if actually, if people are going down to Geelong, when you come into the gardens where the conservatory is, there's some hedge alternatives in two sections on either side of the path. Sarcococca is one of the things that's the hedge uh, alternative that they've planted there under a big, uh, I think, oak tree. Um, so go and have a look at it down there because it, it's actually performing quite well. Uh, so if you happen to be going down to Geelong for whatever reason, whether it be for the walk or just going down to have a look around the gardens, um, they have got the Sarcococca grown as a hedging plant in there. So, And if it is a competition of fragrance alone... Uh I mean, English box and, and even Dutch box does not smell very nice. No, it actually smells foxy. Yeah. yeah. I'm not really fond of boxes. Some a, people as say a plant. like possum pee. Yeah, yeah. I was going to say something we like. Yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> so it's not actually a pleasant scent, whereas no. Sarcococca has a very pleasant perfume. And, and when and, it's not in flower, it's just neutral and lovely. Yeah. And it has got a slightly glossy mm. leaf, which I find quite appealing. Mm. Yes. So I think it's a really good little shrub. Uh, there is an image of its flowers up on our um, social media. I mm. sent my pictures down to uh Liz last night. Congratulations. So, so yes, I got myself (laughs) organised. And so there's a picture of what Sarcococca looks like uh, as a close-up, showing you the flowers. I would say it doesn't get powdery mildew as much as English box does as well. It's it's got a lot of advantages. In fact, I've yet to find any particular downside to it with regards to bugs mm. or diseases yeah, or what have you. Yeah, it is yeah. very minimal. with Yeah, so it diseases. is a very, very worthwhile garden plant and it doesn't need to be hedged. I mean, it's a perfectly no. nice yeah. little bush. You could ball it if you wanted to. Mm. It could grow in a tub. Um, if you let it get to its extent, probably two metres. Depends on the species, but that would be the absolute maximum, yeah. I would have said, of uh, particularly of Ruscifolia, which is the biggest growing one with red berries. Um, Confusa tends to be smaller, uh, as does Sinensis. It's pr- probably pushing to get much more than a metre. And there is also Humulus, which is a little tiny wee one. So there are choices out there in mm. Sarcococca. Just tell us the species of the one that you brought in Confusa. Again. Confusa. Mm. So that's the one that's highly scented. The it's very highly scented. Scent. They're all pretty but, good scents, yeah. I have to say. Okay. Uh, but it's highly scented and it's one of the ones that gets blackberries. Mm-hmm. And I'm not quite mm-hmm. sure why it was called Confusa. It may have been that it got confused with something else in some at some point <laughs> in the naming stakes. And so it ended up being lumped with that. But there they you go. They could have called it Black Pearl or something. Yeah, yeah well, <laughs> don't start that. That's likely right, what's sorry. going to happen. Some nurseryman will go out there and call the damn thing Black Pearl and we'll sorry, all get confused. Someone will call it that. We'll yeah. see a label for it. <laughs> yeah. I'm um, not that trendy. <laughs> <laughs> yes, you are. Oh, dear. Listeners, you are tuned into the 3CR Gardening Show. I have omitted to mention our names up until, again, up until now. I am Chloe Foster, and with me in the studio this morning, we have Emma Hurd, Virginia Haywood, and Stephen Ryan. We're talking plants at the moment. Virginia, what have you brought in for us? Well, what I have done, and I've put them up on... 
the... You've sent them in to Liz, who uh, runs our Instagram yeah. and Facebook yeah. pages. Thank you. Yes. And I just, so I went to the, um, one of the, the second biggest garden show at Hampton Court mm. in Britain. And it just, oh, it is just so divine. For example... The foxtail lily. Oh, those bloody oh. Erymurises. God, oh. they're gorgeous. But say, that, say that again. What are they called? Erymurus. Erymurus. Yeah, oh. they're stunningly beautiful, but not always that easy to make happy. They are absolutely stunning. They are huge. The flower just stretches up to the sky. It's mm. so About exciting. About two metres? Jane manages to grow them. Yeah. But they, for some reason, they're incredibly hard to grow here. They shouldn't be because no, they, they come, come from, from climates where they should be fine. But I, I've killed them in my garden. They've, they flowered, they grew for a year or two, and then they started to sulk and fade out. And I don't know what I did. So I think your garden would it be just too crowded for them. I think yeah. one of the things they need is space. Yeah, which is sort of unfortunate because if you give them lots of space, you also end up with a huge bear patch for ages exactly. in the year. Exactly. So, has its downside. Where do they grow naturally? Siberia, I think. Yeah, oh. Uzbekistan and oh. and Kazbekistan. So, so and... they can take the heat. Mm. You know, they're right. They're really internal mm. to a continent, so they yeah. can take extremes of temperature. I was going to say an extreme cold too, because yeah. it gets cold at night. And, and they often winter. grow in habitats where they're almost the only thing growing there, because the goats and other browsers have eaten everything away, mm. and so they're in this rocky shaley countryside with these Erymurus spikes mm. standing up. I've seen images of them in their natural habitats, and they're virtually the only vegetation you can see. And they're just stunning. Yeah. And these are yellow ones. Do they come in other colours? They come in a whole range of colours. Coppery apricots, creams, pure Mm. whites. Uh, So there's a range of colours in them. And there was a guy growing them commercially. I don't know that he's still doing it for the cut flower trade over near Lancefield. Next to Greg. Yeah. Next to Greg Boulderston. No, he stopped. Yeah, I had a feeling mm-hmm. he might have done. And he had a paddock, which he, he was just planted with their Aramurus. Mm. I remember being over there when they were in flower one year. It was pretty outrageous. He bought in container loads of them from the mm-hmm. Dutch growers. But So they're bulbs or tubers? Well, no, they, they've got sort of a base platey thing that looks a bit like a tuber, and but they're... they've got a permanent root system like an octopus oh. um, that comes out from. Thick. Yeah, so kind of like an agapanther. Yes, they are. Yeah, a bit sort like of that. in that sort of way, except yeah. the base plate is much more dominant and bigger. And of course, mm. they go into complete dormancy, yeah. whereas most of the aggies don't. Maybe uh, like a hippiastrum then. Yeah, it's still not bulby though. No. It's, and and mm. the weirdest thing is you've got to be careful you, if you buy one that you don't damage yeah, those yeah. roots because they tend to get rot in them and things. Okay, well, uh, maybe that's the, the issue that I'm sure growers they, find. I think, I'm sure they rot off. They need mm. absolutely excellent drainage. I think they need space. And you don't really want I to keep, be lifting that at no, the end of the season. No, you don't want to season. touch them too much once mm. you've got them established either. Mm. But I tell you what, they grow them beautifully in England. Mm. Yeah, Disney. well. <laughs> they grow a lot of things well in England. <laughs> yeah. Yes, those and fritillarias and blue poppies. Mm. And, uh. and I saw this Napita. Have you ever seen this, No, Stephen? I haven't seen that one. It is abs- it's a Napita subsessilis. So it's a different species altogether. And, I, I mean, it's only a small plant, but I thought it was so... It's quite an mm. upright form with... With the flower? Yes, you'd barely know it was a napita. Hmm. Napita being catmint. Maybe a little bit, looks a little bit more like campanula. 
Mm. It was just gorgeous. And then, of course, there was this salvia that, oh, dear. Any Richmond supporter would go for that. Oh, <laughs> <yes>. <laughs> the colour. It's a yellow salvia. I don't, you don't usually see yellow, yellow flowers. There are salvias, a few yellow but salvias. But very yeah. pale. Not yeah. in your regular retail. No, no, no. You don't no. see them around for sale, but there's a very small number and of, this of wild one, ones. This one is in Australia. I haven't yet spoken to Meg. I need to talk to With Meg about this. chocolate brown. Chocolate mm. brown. It is just, mm. oh. Oh dear, I did make – and the other one, the other thing I saw, which was I went to this open garden. It cost £11 to go in. <gasps> Doesn't I, cost that much to come to mine. And I went with <laughs> – You're so cheap. <laughs> yeah, I am so cheap. Sorry, but there you go. And um, I, I went with my friend and, she, and I said, £11. She said, it's worth it, Gin. It's worth it. Yeah, Gin, just think, it goes towards paying someone to upkeep that garden. Mm. Those people have six gardeners. People who grow in Britain tend to be wealthy. They know, yeah, they are. They know how to do it well. And this thing, this isn't in flower, this photo. The flower is yellow. It's called Amicia, and I can't find any evidence of it being. How do you spell that? A M I C I A. Okay. Yeah. It's a stunningly beautiful plant. Zygomerus. Mm -hmm. It comes from Mexico. Amicia zygomerus. Yeah. I had it once for a very short time. And you went and killed it. And I lost it somehow or another. (laughs) I got it from, I think it might have been from the seed list of the Royal Horticultural Society in England, although it could have been on the Alpine Garden Society seed list because I used to get a lot of the different seed lists. Mm. Now it's getting harder and harder to bring in seed from Mm. all those seed lists. But back then you could sort of, it was open slather and you could get what you wanted. Would David have it? David? I don't think so. I don't think anybody here has got it as far as I know. I mean, if it had, if if somebody was growing it here, I think I probably would have heard about it yeah. at some point or another and rushed off to get one. Yes, because uh, it's not. They tell me they it's very easy to propagate. Did any fall secret. into your pocket, Virginia? No. <laughs> Wrong time of year. Yeah. Oh, dang. <laughs> yeah, but it is. It's a very pretty plant, and yeah. I had it, it. I got it up to about a meter or so tall, uh, looking stunning. And then I don't. It was so long ago now. I don't really remember what went wrong. It could have got too dry in the summer or something. I'm not quite sure what happened. But anyhow, is it, it just collapsed and died. Or? Yes, yeah, it's a perennial. Yeah. It's a perennial, and, and its it... foliage is stunning. Yes, and it's the I, I own, and the the leaf is a bit like a tulip tree. It's got that what, sort of yeah the indented end the on indented the leaf. end on it. What a lovely shape! It's so nice. It that was leaf. gorgeous. I oh just, dear! I, and I, I I wandered around till I found a gardener to find out what it was because mm. it wasn't labelled, and I thought mm. I have to know about this. Mm. Mm. And then you had to come back and tell me and make me feel guilty about the fact that I killed, <laughs> killed it. it. Yes. <laughs> I, I told know. Ben, I said, Stephen did have it. Yeah. He killed it. <laughs> I yeah. Honestly, I think that's important that you say so because everyone loses plants. Oh, of course they do. You know. mm. I learnt years ago, I, I used to keep all the labels in a box, mm. uh, but then if you went through the box years later You'd and you feel... realise, I've lost that, I've lost that, I've lost that, I've killed that, <laughs> where did that I go? I've got no idea. Uh, it's not worth doing I it. did that yesterday. I'm packing up and moving at the moment and I had my I, I chuck all my plant labels in a in a. In yeah. the drawer. I was cleaning out the drawer and I was like, I thought, oh, yeah, that's still there. And then that one's not. That one's not. That <laughs> yes. one's not. Yes, well, it can oh be quite gosh. a fright. Yeah, yeah. it was. Mm. <laughs> well, because the other thing it does, it shows you how much money you spend yeah. on these plants oh that you go gosh. then and kill. Worth every penny. 
Sorry. I, I, yeah. Yeah. Says the still spend the money. Still Better spend than taking money. recreational drugs. Yeah, well, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> Even if you kill a plant, it generally lasts longer. <laughs> yes, yes. Definitely uh, lasts longer. But anyhow, it uh, is what it is. I'm, I'll put out our phone uh, our phone numbers again. If you want to call and join the show, 94190155. And the text line is 0488 809 You are listening to the 3CR Gardening Show. I'm Chloe Foster and I have Emma Heard, Virginia Haywood and Stephen Ryan in the sh- in the studio with me this morning. Now, can I um, be indulgent and talk about a plant that I bought in this morning? Yes, of course you can. Thank you. Mm. I did a talk for the Fernie Creek uh, Horticultural Society yesterday and talking about shade plants, that was that was what they wanted me to talk about. Oh, so I would have come and seen you. I was driving up there and I thought, oh, I'm right next door to Emma pretty much. I should have let you know. <laughs> oh, damn. Um, Karanga was very generous enough to lend me some plants to help bring the talk to life, which was an absolute lifesaver. So I went to Karanga yesterday morning and put a whole heap of shade-tolerant plants in my trolley, walked out and didn't pay for them. It felt so good. <laughs> And I let me just, just say, don't you do that on a regular basis no, because that's I, called theft. <laughs> I returned them that afternoon, so thank you to Evan and Ben at Karanga for letting me do that. It was fantastic. Um, there was one that didn't make it back to the shelf, and I did pay for it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I would have assumed nothing less. <laughs> They're one of my favorite groups of plants. It's a Nothophagus morii, which is the Antarctic beach. Beautiful tree, it is a beautiful tree. I'm going to put it in a pot. Mm. And grow it as a pot specimen. I reckon it would root prune. So yeah. I reckon you could probably treat it. I call them part-time bonsais. Yeah. Uh, and every few years take it out and root prune it so that you can extend its life in a pot for quite some time, That's I would have thought. Because it's not like a, a eucalypt or an acacia or something yeah. that doesn't want its roots tampered with yeah. too much. But I imagine you could keep it the height of yourself. Yeah. You, know, yeah, you can, so you can yeah, prune them. Cumbersome, yeah. cumbersome you can, yeah, they prune. do prune up. I yeah. have seen them as sort of large shrubs. Mm. Um, they're, sort of, they're pretty slow growing, yeah. um, pretty tolerant of myself. But, yeah, I mean, they're... As as I got can them for yesterday, they're a shade Can you tell us plant. what Nothophagus is t- in oh. non-Latin? The Antarctic, they're the beech trees. Yeah, so the we, southern beech. The southern beech. Yeah. We do have, yeah, Nothophagus morii is in Australia. We also have another species, which is more common around Victoria, Cunninghamii. Mm. Um, and we have the only deciduous member oh, of its family in Australia, Tassie, Dan yeah. in Tassie. I'm glad you brought that up. That is very hard to propagate. And one of the members there yesterday said, I've tried to grow it from seed so many times, but I cannot get it going. And it it's is a bugger very- of a tree. Yes. It's beautiful, but it's really difficult. In mid-early or in autumn every year, parts of western Tasmania just turn blazing orange from Nothophagus gunnii. Yeah. I've had it for sale at the nursery a few times over the years, but even in a pot in the shade house, if we get one of those sort of torridly hot summer days Mm. at sort of 42 degrees with a howling northwesterly, they'll just peg out virtually overnight. I reckon that's what has happened to this specimen because the tips of the leaves, I reckon, maybe got a little bit burnt over summer, so I'll be keeping it in a pretty protected spot. I think most of the Nothophagus is better that way. And we probably should just mention in passing there's a bit of a dispute at the moment, it would seem, about names. Um, The Q's website is leaving them all as Nothophagus at the moment. Yep. But some of the other people have split the genus up into about three different genera, uh, and Lophazona is one of them, which this could end up being if they do decide to split the Nothophaguses up. Well, let's uh, hope they don't, because uh, we've all learnt Nothophagus. And, and lo- 
I can't say it. And I have to look it up every time mm. I I talk about this plant because I, it's a name that doesn't stick in my head It's a hard easily. name. To ca- I have to look it up regularly. Lo- Lophazonia, Lophazonia. Yeah, it's I'd say, well, I'd say Lophazonia, but yeah. anyhow. Um, and uh, I can sort of understand the principles here because particularly the new Caledonian species look so different. Um, I mean, they have leaves the size of a, a bay laurel um, and look completely different. Uh, but the seed pods and form of all of the Nothophaguses have basically the same format. Mm. And so how do you then separate one into Lophosoma and one into Nothophagus and one into whatever the other genus is that I can't remember? Um uh, uh, on physical characteristics. Well, Q's yeah. holding out, so let's hope they yeah. continue to. The yeah. Australian Plant Name Index, which is Australia's official yeah. um, plant naming software or database, um, still has it as Nothophagus. Well, let's Moriai. hope that they keep it that way. But then, you know, I mean, they've split eucalyptus up a bit and they're doing it with a lot of other things. Yeah. So, and, yeah. Chloe, over the summer, pop that pot into something with lots of newspaper or something else. A bit of insulation. Yeah, yep. to, to keep it cool, not yeah, just shade. But a black pot is hot by definition. Yeah, I, hopefully I will have it potted into something by then, but yes. But I would also- hope so. It should be done tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> it's got to move first. <laughs> yeah. but, but, you know, if you if it's covered with newspaper or something like that yeah. through the summer, yeah. put in a bigger pot again, yeah. I think that really can help. In the garden, like I'd put, be putting this in an, in an east-facing yeah. garden and mm. protected from, you know, the westerly oh, suns yeah. that we And get. the north wind. I really yes. think that the thing we forget about, the most important question with a plant, I reckon, is will it survive the north wind? Then does it want shade or does it – like, for example, I had in one house I lived in, I had a Japanese maple that was completely shaded – but it got the north wind. So every year mm. it was just yeah. decimated. They get fried. Yeah. Especially fried. when you're doing something unusual with them, like maybe trying to bonsai them. or mm. yeah. Just so north, it, north wind, first question. Second mm. question, does it want sun? Yeah. And uh, I always, with Japanese maples particularly, I actually say to people they'll actually tolerate a fair bit of sun unless it's 48 degrees, but it is the wind that is more of a problem than mm. the sun. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, no, I had a lovely afternoon at the Fernie Creek Horticultural Society. They're fantastic, enthusiastic. They're one of the best gardening societies that we have. Oh, except around. for the Mount Massive. I knew you'd say that. <laughs> so equal best, Stephen. <laughs> yes, all right. And the Upper Yarra Valley Garden Club. Yeah. Yeah, uh, no, I mean the same as the Mount Macedon group. They're one of the, the bigger, you know, well respected plant societies mm. around. They've and got... they do have a fantastic garden. Yes, which mm. is something Mount Macedon can't aspire to, but anyhow, they... we can aspire to be a hundred. That's pretty good. I think Fernie Creek's about 10 years behind you. Yeah. Yeah. yeah so. Um, so if anyone is, you know, wanting to get involved or... Mm. Um, and they have prop days. They you know. do. They have a really active propagation group. They've got a couple of different arms. So I spoke to the, mm. the Australian plant arm of the group yesterday. They've got a, a propagation group. A lot of these gardening clubs and societies do. If you're just starting out in horticulture, maybe if you've just retired and you need to keep yourself a bit busy, get involved in these garden in these garden societies. And lovely people too. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. They were beautiful people. And if you want to go and have a look at it, it's 100 Hilton Road, Fernie Creek. Yeah. The phone number is 9755 2135. And of course, you can find it online. There you yeah. go. Thank you, Jim. Stephen, let's hear right. it. 
hit another, another plant. Yep. All right, for the variegated lovers out there and for the variegated haters because they need to actually have some aversion therapy anyway, um, I bought along a comparatively new Fatsia, the Japanese Aurelia. Um, there's about three or four different variegated forms of this starting to show up and around. And this one's now being tissue cultured. Uh, so I bought ah. these as, as plugs. Um, and it's a Fatsia, Fatsia japonica, and this particular clone is called Spider's Web, um, which doesn't really look Spider's Webby to me, but anyhow, it, it's a name. Um, and it has this marbled variegation that tends to be more... Uh, dramatic towards the ends of the uh, lobes of the leaves, so it gets more and more variegated as you go out from the centre of the leaf. And virtually every leaf will have a different amount of variegation in it, so it's not a sort of mm. static-looking variegation. It's it's a very weird and strange variegation. The Be- variegation reminds me a bit of a cuba. So yes, it's not quite as spotty dotty as in a cuba, quite, but-, uh, but yes, it's more in that sort of line. It's two plants I loathe: fatsia and a cuba. <laughs> and I love both of them. Uh, they're great plants for the sh- dry shade. They bring light and colour into a dark corner. Mm. They make good pot plants. The Fatsia particularly also makes a very good indoor plant for mm. those who are interested in indoor plants, and there's a lot of people out there doing that now. Um, yeah. And it gives, a, in a cold climate like mine, the Fatsias and the Acubas and quite a lot of those things give a slightly tropical-esque feel to a garden. You know, mm. they've got bold and interesting foliage. And um, and so I've got all three variegated Fatsias mm-hmm. in the garden at home that have found their way into the country at this stage. So I've got Spider's Web. There's another one rather unimaginative called Variegata, which tends to have white tips to the ends of the leaflets more. And there's an, another one that has arisen, obviously, in lots of different places. And in America, it was called camouflage. In Japan, it's got another name, and it's arisen here as well. But because they've arisen clonally from separate places, they're probably not genetically identical. So the Australian one still hasn't had a a name, and the whole centre of its leaf is yellow. Um, mm. And it's a very weird look. Oh, don't look like that, Virginia Haywood. She's she lo- looks like she's just sucked a lemon. Um, <laughs> John and, Arnott's face will be doing the same at the moment. Too. Oh, yeah, but John Arnott, I have to say, I was down at Cranbourne the other day doing some filming for our YouTube channel. Yeah. We went down to Cruden Farm. I saw some photos. Yeah, yeah, and we went down to Cruden Farm first because I wanted to do a story on the Massad Oak, which is now online. Uh, and we also wanted to take some footage of the... Uh, lemon-scented gum avenue because we're doing a storyline on avenues Mm -hmm. Um, and so that was going to be the third one we needed to finish our avenue story and I said to my partner in crime Matthew we'll go down to Cranbourne and we rang John and he kindly came and had a chat to us about it Uh, and so we we interviewed him about the gardens and it's and and it's background and its reasoning for being there and all that sort of stuff. And he had to admit that they went to Karanga and bought variegated wastringias, which they've planted mm-hmm. in the big sand garden area, the big The red orange, sand garden. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and he said it was the only thing that, that sort of bounced in that environment was and the variegated up, with stringia and held up to the rabbits yes yeah. that's yeah. it that i've got it all over mine so too, even rabbits of won't rabbits. variegated foliage yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah so anyhow so john had to admit that they used in large quantities a variegated plant in the yeah. cranbourne botanic gardens and uh i thought that was fabulous um uh, because i <laughs> 
I don't know what it is about variegated plants. People tend to uh, end up in one camp or the other. They yeah. tend to love them or they tend to hate them. Yep. Uh, there's not terribly many people that will switch between. I'm fairly neutral, to be honest. Yeah. Well, <laughs> it's funny, though. The haters will generally make exception for variegated grasses and variegated hostas because uh, they're I apparently tasteful. Tasteful. <laughs> I will not make an I, I'm in the hater group. I hey. will not make an exception for variegated hostas. The yeah. grasses maybe I'll make an exception for. But variegated plants in a dark corner in the back corner yeah. of your yard. That's where they belong. No, but that, but that makes that back corner of the yard yeah. fabulous then. It, it, yeah. it sort of lifts yeah. it. And, it's know. not the variegation I loathe. I, I think fatsia is just a horrible plant. Oh, not Virginia Haywood. Yeah, I, I used to like you. I know, <laughs> <laughs> oh, we were friends. We're yeah, we friends. were friends <laughs> up until a minute ago. Um, I think Fatsy is a fabulously useful plant because I think, I think it has great structure. Yeah, yeah, and, you know, it's big gutsy foliage and when it grows to a good-sized plant. And contrast against something else, you know, like you can really create a kind mm. of a, a interesting painting mm. in the garden. With See, it. I reckon Virginia's problem is she saw them used badly in... in Local parks in England and oh uh, yeah, and, just and a cubas were too. used to hide the, public lavatories. I mean, for the God's Acuba, sake, it was just it is it yeah. still is in any dark park. Yeah, yeah, because it's, it's the go-to plant. Yeah, you know. So, but having said that, that means that it's doing a job because mm. people will go back to it again and again because yeah, it will only, do the job only because the lose behind it. Yeah. But the context <laughs> of the use does matter, and it does yeah. taint your opinion. I mean, of I'm plants. sure if somebody used it really well, I would forgive Golden Diosma. Yeah, true. But I just haven't oh, seen no. anybody use it well yet. Oh, <laughs> no, I couldn't. Smell. I couldn't. Yes. Yeah. When I moved I call to my McDonald's place, car I, park plants. I had a huge <laughs> bed of Golden Diosma and mm. the, the first week I moved in, I pulled out every one of them. I'd, yeah. I'd pull it out before I unpack the kitchen. It's not bad. Yeah, well, it is one of those plants. Actually, yeah. I went to a, a naturalisation ceremony up in Kyneton years ago. A Scottish friend of mine was being naturalised as an Australian citizen and they had some <gasps> native plants they were handing out. And in amongst the native plants, no, they got them from somewhere. Not. There were Golden Diosmas. <laughs> And I said to Alex, if you pick up one of those when you go up the front, I'll kill you. So, you know, just just get one of the eucalypts or the or, or the bottle brushes or whatever. But don't, and and I went up afterwards and I pointed out to the people up there that they had a non-native plant they were I giving think a out. Nursery I mean, that's must the least have put, of the issues. They must have put that in there as a joke. To be no, like, no, I think they actually thought it was a native. It's like when you buy bunches yeah. of native flowers and they've got proteas in them. Yes, yeah, you know, and that happens all the time. I yeah. see that everywhere. Yeah. Um, so there's some plants that have been accepted as native for some reason or another, <laughs> and I can't think of what the reason would be in the case of a golden. I haven't diosmite. heard about the diosmite being accepted. <laughs> That's so funny. Yeah. Oh dear. It's, but yes, it's I a, think we'd call that tragic. It is yeah. tragic. It really is. But there you go. Oh dear. All right. We've had another text message. Coming come in um julie has asked about um dealing with soil in large pots she has a number of roses virginia creeper and some other ferns that she needs to put into large pots she asks if she ha- does she have to buy a truckload of potting mix or can she refresh um the pots with some additives like compost or bulk them out somehow. Mm. I'm always nervous about bulking out potting mixes yeah, because they sometimes too. then turn into this mushy, wet, slimy, soggy thing. Or not even mushy, thing. they just like compact and compact and yeah. solidify. Yeah. You know, I mean, they, they formulate potting mixes, at least the good ones, mm. for the purpose of using in pots. Yeah. Mm. Um, and... Um, I would rarely sort of fall back on things like composts and things in pots. A different pots. additive might be a fertiliser, yeah. but um, it's not a complete solution. In many mm. cases, I think it would be wiser to find a 
good quality potting mix and and I think refresh. you'd be better off spending the money on the potting mix. A good quality one will also last longer. Yeah. Although they all break down eventually, and this eventually. is something people forget. You know, you can't refresh a potting mix where the pine bark is actually rotted out. No. Yeah. You, know, you have to. Yeah. Well, you'd have to completely clean yeah. all the clean it off all of the and roots. And it will become hydrophobic eventually and then you've yeah. really got nowhere to turn with it. De- depending on the plant and the size of the pot, but it's probably more of a temporary measure, you can put, and I've really only done this for, for temporary displays in, in nurseries when I was at the, well, actually when I was at the Botanic Gardens, is we had a, a pot, a couple of large ones, say 50 centimetres high, and we got the black plastic pots and squashed them in down the bottom that probably took up maybe a third mm. uh, um, volume of the pot. And then we filled it with potting mix. It made the pot less heavy for us mm. to shift and move around. Mm. There was still a decent amount of potting mix for the plant roots to be in. But I don't think that's a long-term solution. No. The other thing that worries me a little bit, she says Virginia creeper. Mm. Now, how do you repot a climber when it gets too root bound for its pot yeah. if it's growing up the wall of the house. Yeah, good point. You know, so climbers in general, mm. unless it's your Hoya, mm. uh, which is perfectly happy in a pot forever, um, I much prefer to see climbers put into the ground because at some point or another they'll get root bound in the pot yeah. and then you can't really deal with them and they lose their yeah. attractiveness and usefulness as a climber. So, I mean, most plant shrubs and things, you can take them out, root prune them, put them back and stuff. But how you deal with a climber that's, particularly with something like Virginia creeper, which is somewhat self-clinging, uh, it's going to be attached to things. So you'd have to cut it right back hard mm. and and then take it out and then root prune it and then replant it again and start it off from scratch. Does Virginia, the quinquifolia one uh, dies off, is over summer? No. It does die back. Maybe no. I've just seen it pruned really badly. Yeah, maybe you okay, have. We'll talk after the show. Uh, quinquifolia is the Virginia creeper, which has the hand-like leaves with separate leaflets. Mm. Uh, and it's winter deciduous, summer uh, growing, autumn-coloured, generally red, um, and it's one of the first things to turn in the autumn, so it's bare very early. Winter deciduous. So I, mm. I reckon I've just seen it pruned, like cut back really, really hard. Yeah. So and, and look, you can prune Sorry. them back really hard, but if it's going to do its job, and most mm. climbers are there to cover something or mm. to soften something, uh, I wouldn't put it in a tub. Yeah. I'd try and put it into the ground, yeah. and then it's there as a permanent subject. Yeah, mm. yep. Julie, I think you're going to have to just splash out and get some good quality potting mix. Mm. Yeah, well, Unless yeah. the reason she's potting things is actually to move them. Yeah, if you're only moving them from point A to point B to then, a new house. Then a bit of fertiliser yeah. would be... Yeah. Uh, yeah. would be a, enough to keep it going till you get it into yeah. new ground. It's more about longevity. Mm. Mm. This is the 3CR Gardening Show. We're here until 9.15 as usual. Our number, if you want to join the chat, is 94190155. Our text line is 0488809855. We've got a couple of other calls to get through. Um, a lovely text message is coming from someone saying the program is excellent. I wish oh. there could be more Thanks, gardening Mum. on 3CR. <laughs> yeah, maybe that was my mum. <laughs> All right, let's say a very good morning to Jill from East Malvern. Hi, Jill. Hi. Good morning. Good morning, Stephen and Virginia and everybody else. Um, I've, got a, I've got three crepe turtles. What's your idea of when to prune and if to prune. Are they single trunked or are they multi-trunked, Jill? Uh, single trunked. In my opinion, you don't prune a crepe myrtle unless you absolutely yeah. have to. Yeah. Take the dead ha- flower heads off if you 
find them most. unattractive. Yeah. Um, but yeah, most people who prune crepe myrtles hard, they prune them hard with the idea that it's going to make them flower. And what they end up with is something that looks like a hat rack. Mm. Um, there's no grace to a heavily pruned crepe no. myrtle. They- uh, Sorry, they can be pollarded quite well, yeah. but you just need to do it every year. Yeah, uh, but I, pollarded trees, depending on how you're using them, I would use a crepe myrtle for its trunks. And as soon as you start truncating the trunks, mm. uh, then you're losing the, the benefit mm. of them. If it's something I was pollarding for its flowers or for its um, its foliage or whatever, and the trunk wasn't an important aspect of the plant, then I had no problems with that. I do that but with a, an erythrina Stephen I've Stephen Jules mm. is a single trunk, which is something so, that's happening a lot lately, single trunk yeah. Lagostromia, which I think is a great pity. Yeah, yeah so yeah, so I wouldn't I wouldn't prune it, no. Jill. I'd just I'd, leave it I'd, or deadhead it if you want to. My new one is the magenta flowered one and the leaves were brilliant crimson. They're absolutely fantastic. Mm. It's lost its leaves about a month ago, whereas the, the medium pink one, which is about nine years of age, hasn't lost all its leaves yet. Yeah, some of them will hold their leaves well into the winter. But, yeah, I I just think an unpruned or generally unpruned crepe myrtle has much more grace and elegance about it. If you can allow mm. them to have their head, let them have their head. I think that's true of most trees. Yeah, you can take off the heads if if you find them unattractive. Some people don't mind the look of them, Um, uh, but yes, you could go over and prune the dead flowers off. But that's all you need to do. Okay, thank you very much. Now it's a pleasure, Jill. All right, thank you, Jill. Have a good day. Um, We must say a good morning to Bernie from Reedsdale. Hello, Bernie. I think it's Fermi. Oh, it's Fermi. Oh, it's Fermi. It was yeah. typed wrong. Yeah, yeah. yeah. As soon as I, you said Reedsdale, I thought, yeah, that's not Bernie. <laughs> no, Bernie from Reedsdale moved. Yes, that's right, exactly. <laughs> yes, they couldn't live next, next door to you, apparently. No, no, he was actually just about next door. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> nice to hear you talking about um, the Fernie Creek uh, Garden Club. Yeah. Um, that was... Um, that's still one of the, the clubs I belong to, even though it's now a five-hour round trip to go. It to would it. be. Oh, yes, from Reedsdale. That's a mm. long, long tatas for me. Yeah. Anyway. <laughs> but, um, um, and, of course, they've got the spring show coming up in a, only a few weeks, just in the beginning of September. Mm. But I'm, I'm hoping that the publicity person will get through to you to, um, to advertise it a bit closer to the date. Yeah, let's hope um, so. I hope so. Yeah. If they don't, but, I can uh, bring the little flyer in. I get um, it sent to oh, me. Yeah. Oh, you've got, you would have picked it up at the meeting. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, look, um, and I'm really sorry. I don't, I, being five hours, I, I don't probably get down to that many of the um, the non-Rock Garden Club meetings because the Rock Garden Club is the one that I'm um, one of the co-chairs of. So um, I'm sort of obligated to go down for that one. <laughs> Being a, finan- fi- a financial member is, or a supporting member like that is, is also very meaningful, so don't be oh. too hard on yourself for not making the five-hour <laughs> round trip. <laughs> uh, anyway, I actually was ringing up to ask your advice, Chloe, mm-hmm. because um, I've got a Hekia Burundong Beauty, which is growing out of proportions. I'm wondering how hard can I cut it back and when's the best time? And how can I propagate it? So you could cut it back. I'd leave some foliage on it. I'd prune it, mm-hmm. prune it after it's finished flowering. Mm-hmm. Um, to propagate it, 
new, um, not the super soft um, new growth, but you could go for, I wouldn't go for tips, but seconds, take the tip off. Okay. Actually, the tips would probably be fine, but any sort of the stem cuttings, that's what I'm trying to say. Okay. So you could use the stem cuttings. Semi-ripe wood, not not soft. Yes. Yep. Unless I take it up to Stephen and he can put it in his (laughs) (laughs) Don't start that. We'll have everybody up there wanting to put things in my propagator before we know it. I I won't have room for my things. (laughs) I'd do it for you. It's hardly utilised that house. I, look, I have a feeling you probably could prune that quite hard. I can't remember okay. what species the Burundong Beauty comes from. It's very it's vigorous. It's the Australian um, species that, that crossed in the Burundong um, New South Wales uh, Botanic Gardens or yeah. region or something. A lot of the hakias will do some, not a lot of them, some of them do have a lignotuber, so you can prune them back. Stephen's okay. having a look for me at the moment. Um, so... As a caution, I would leave some foliage on it, but they yeah. do like how it, it's often sold as a ground cover, but it's more of no. a prostrate small shrub. How high is yours at the moment? Um, it's about a meter and a half. Yeah, <laughs> okay. uh, it's hardly a small ground cover. Yeah. Uh, its parentage is uh, Mertoides crossed Pedialaris. I think Pedialaris might have a lignotuber, so you might be able – if Roger Elliott is listening, um, he might know. Um, but I would just err on the side of caution and leave a little bit of foliage on it, um, Fermi. If I can cont- – I'll have a look into it and I'll send you a message. I'll contact you if I find okay, out. Okay, yeah, well, yeah. we follow each other on Instagram, I yes. think. So. Yes, we do. I'll contact you via Instagram. Okay. <laughs> and um, that was one of the other things I was going to say with uh, people who are – who uh, want to follow um, some of the um, garden clubs like Burnie Creek is that they also have a um, digital pre- presence now so that they can go onto Instagram to uh, see what's happening at Burnie Creek. Absolutely. Yeah. I do think Instagram is just one of those things that anybody who's into horticulture or yes. gardening, it's, it is mm. wonderful. If you're into politics, probably not. No. <laughs> it is the place for gardeners. Twitter is the place to go if you're into politics. If you're into plants, nasty. Instagram is fantastic. I've we been can on Twitter for photos. years. I, don't, I haven't found it particularly nasty, but well, it depends on the algorithms. Nice people. Yeah, yeah mm-hmm. it, it depends oh. on the algorithms of what you're actually into. Yeah. Um, and uh, I get some really interesting stuff comes through on Twitter um, from friends all over the world who are gardeners. Mm. Yes, I That's was. Good. my I've Obviously, because I worked at the House of Commons for 10 years, I've got a lot of political friends and they just get trolls. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Shocking. Yeah. Yeah. All right, Fermi, yeah. thank you for calling okay. in. Thank you for your help. And, um, yeah, it's a good – it is a great show and you shouldn't be disappointed that people aren't bringing in. It's because people are just so interested in hear what you're saying. Thank you. It is nice to hear that from someone on the other side. <laughs> <laughs> thank you, Fermi. We appreciate it, Fermi. Thank Thanks you. See you, guys. Bye. 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 I think it is a really good way to get in contact with local garden mm. cent- yep. uh, garden clubs yep. through Instagram. Yep, it is. We have another caller on the line, someone that we're all familiar with. Good morning to Mr John Arnott. How are you? Hey, Chloe, how are you going? Good, thank you. The man uh, have you rung in about variegated plants, John? <laughs> yes, he I, has. I, I'm ringing about a variegated plant. <laughs> someone, someone earlier called in and talked about uh, heritage um, sick, variegated sycamore yep. at the Geelong Botanic Gardens. It's actually a thing. It's Acer, Acer 
Platinus, and it has a cultivar name called Leopoldii. Yes. Um, and uh, it is listed on the Heritage Victoria uh, Significant Tree Register. It says an interesting cultivar of Asia Pseudotype Platinus, the sycamore. The leaves are marked with gold variegation scattered across the leaf surface, a well-formed tree in excellent condition providing... E- blah, 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 blah. Mm. It's horrible. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, uh, now, that, that's in the eye of the beholder, definitely, John. Uh, and I have to say, in, in, possibly in the sycamore's defence, not necessarily the variegated one, but they're not weedy away from the hills. Uh, you don't get the same... They're bloody same. weedy in London. Yeah, I'm talking about the hills here. You know, so in, in Melbourne... They don't set a lot of viable seed and they're much easier to manage. But you take them up to the hills, up in the Dandenongs and up at Mount Macedon, and they are an absolute thug. And I certainly know of a couple of big Leopoldis up at Mount Macedon um, that send up about a 50-50 percentage of seedlings that are variegated uh, as well as green. So it will actually follow through in the seedlings a bit. And that's interesting because um, that uh, in and of itself No, it's not. Variegation tends not to come through in seed, but Mm. uh, some plants do it, and uh, that particular sycamore will. Yeah, yeah. But its significances are horticultural, genetic, um, uh, the location being at the Geelong Botanic Gardens. But I think um, the assumption I'd always made with with that one is that it might have been a sport or a seedling that was discovered in a garden in Leopold. Uh, Don't think so. I think it's actually a a European um, selection. Oh, good. It always shows up in you know (laughs) in the maple books and things from England and and America and what have you. So my gut feeling is it was discovered over there somewhere, and it might even have been named after somebody called Leopold, (laughs) (laughs) Um, who was probably a king. Mm. uh, the, The the earlier call might have been taken as a bit of tongue, tongue uh, I think it was. I think somebody uh, was having a bit of a dig at us. It's a, it, no, it's a thing. It's not a particularly, you know, in the eye of the beholder, um, attractive thing, but it's a thing. Yeah, it is a thing. <laughs> a thing. <laughs> yes. As most variegations are a thing. So uh, don't but, seek out the variegated sycamore at Geelong. Go and see the other stuff. And yes, the go and see the ginkgo tree. and have yeah. a look at the Oracaria montanas in the 21st century garden. There's one with some cones forming on it at the moment, which I thought was really exciting when I was down there. They're starting to get a bit of those, those trees. I mean, those, the 21st century garden was planted in 2002, mm-hmm. so... It's got a. It's still a very young in tree time, um, young garden in terms of tree time. But uh, they're starting to get a bit of form. Mm. And well, there's a really nice Madagascar Nulardia growing in there that's got up to a good size. Yeah. Did you see the? Oh God, it's gone straight out of my head as I was about to say. It's, really <laughs> um, uh, it's gone. Uh, Pumus boldus. Oh yes, the South American thing. Yes. Yeah. Yes, quite a good sized one actually. Yeah, nice tree. Yeah, yeah, very interesting tree, and they use it as a, a make a tea out of its leaves, and they use it to treat uh, your kidneys. Excellent. So there you go. <laughs> so another useful little tip. Um, and whilst we've still got you on the phone, John, thank you for your um, uh, appearance when Matthew and I came down to do some filming the other day. We had a great time. Yeah, it was, it was good. Um, and you didn't get too wet or cold? It was getting there. Um, when, when Matthew and I went down to the Gondwana area to connect with some of the Gondwana plants there, uh, I was leaning in amongst the uh, Eucryphia wilkie eyes going, ooh, look 
at you, look at you with their little white flowers all over them. And Matthew did some filming and I said, that's enough, let's go now. <laughs> <laughs> did, you, did you see the um, uh, Promnopities? Did I see the Promnopities? Yes, I did. Yes. Yeah. Doing quite well. They're getting quite big. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, bigger than the one I've got in my garden at home. Um, but uh, it's doing quite well. You know it's had a name change, don't you? It's Pectinopides now. Oh, are you kidding? No, it's not. It's Pectinopides lad- laddii. Now. What is it? I don't know. Uh, it's a conifer from um, Mount uh, Sturgeon. Spurgeon. 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 Spurgeon, I think it is. And it's quite rare in the wild. There's only... You know, small quantities of it. It it is on the endangered species list, isn't it, John? Yeah, 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 absolutely. Yeah, and it's a really pretty conifer. It has a really lovely habit, uh, very pretty dark um, green needles, and uh, I think it's charming. It's a really nice native conifer, and uh, we tend to ignore our native conifers unless they happen to be all of my pines at the moment. Uh, And I think we've got some really interesting stuff out there. Mm -hmm. Um, In fact, I just got a nice batch of young Sundacarpuses. from the Atherton Tableland the other day. Nice, nice. So very pleased with those. Yeah. Yeah. Well, enjoying the show. Thanks, thanks, folks. Thanks, John. And thanks for ringing in, and, John. Yeah, thanks for ringing in, John. And I was down there recently too and the Hort, with a group of students and the Hort staff were absolutely lovely to us and very informative. So they're, thanks they're, to the team. They're a great mob, aren't they? Yeah, they are. They really are. Yep. Yeah. Okay. See you, folks. Right. See you later, Thanks John. very much. It's a really good time to visit somewhere like Cranbourne, I think. Mm. It's a wonderful botanic garden. Oh, yeah. For those of you out there who haven't been, you should yeah. go down the and see it. The quallop bell down there the other day was looking outrageous. Oh, just glorious. Oh, I just love the quallop bell. It's just the most amazing thing. Yes. Uh, and there was a big one not far from the entry area, sort of down to your right. There was a big and part of it. such a variety of quallop bells. There's mm. There's... A good mix of different types mm. that's lovely to see. Mm, they do vary from like mag- dark, fully magenta to, you know, mm. that bit of, with a bit of green. Spec- yeah, well, this one was quite green. green with sort of a burgundy-ish oh, edging yeah. to the petals Ooh, or the lovely. bracts, I suppose they are. Mm, yeah. And lovely, lovely yeah, plant. Yeah, so nice. Yes, this- well, I would really encourage people to go down to Cranbourne cause I, and, mm. and the other place that will be looking good at the moment is Melton, of course. Mm. Absolutely, mm. yep. And, yeah, of course, well, my botanic garden always looks good. <laughs> well, Andrea and Sandra and I are very excited because soon the the Woodlands Playground at Cranbourne will be underway. Tell us more built. about that. So uh, exciting nature play space. So there is an existing playground there and Andrea, myself and Sandra have worked together to design a nature play space for the Woodlands uh, conservation area. So it's quite interesting designing a play space within a conservation zone uh, because... You know, of course, the plants and the the animals take uh, a high priority as well of, as, well, of course. Well, above children, of course they should. Oh, certainly not above. <laughs> Children's safety is, is paramount. But, yeah, it's it's an interesting environment to design a playground in. So the Woodlands Picnic Area is out in the bushland area of the Cranbourne Botanic Gardens. Mm. Um, and it's not oh, – it's probably – Mm, depends how quick you are. A five to ten minute walk from the car park. Mm. Um, there's barbecues out there. Uh, that's all staying there. You guys yeah. are just improving the yeah. The so area. yeah, in interest of sustainability, we're we're retaining a lot of what's there and adding on more dynamic play elements and and nature play elements that kids can connect with in a different way to the existing play equipment and. Uh, I think there there are two pieces of existing play equipment that will come out at the moment and then potentially 
the the other pieces will come out as well and go on to different homes. Um, so they won't go into landfill. They will mm. live on. Good. That's the goal. Yeah, excellent. Fabulous. When mm. when is that due to open and finish? Oh, it's too soon to say just okay. yet because unfortunately <laughs> there are massive project delays. But we're still on track at the moment, and um, yeah, we we will be getting underway at the end of September. All right. Listeners will hear about it when it's ready to go. Yes. <laughs> yeah. I won't say much about opening dates and things like <laughs> yeah, that. Because Emma, can't... I want a time and I want a date. Yeah. Can't yeah. I want to lock it in my diary. Really. <laughs> yeah. there's, there's a huge team of people involved and, and so many people that are, are working to get it going. Yeah. So, um, yes, it's not myself alone. I want to ask you about the Albury Botanic Gardens project in a second. Just a mm. couple of text messages to get through. Someone has asked if they can send photos through to the text line. No, no we can't see them. Please no. email us. Our email address is gardening at 3cr.org.au. And that's where community groups can go to send us their announcements that they yeah. want us to publicise. And a first-time listener has texted in saying, just found the show, so glad to have you guys. So no name, so thank you, listener, and welcome yeah, to the show. Welcome. Yeah, yeah. Well, I tell people at the nursery all the time that we're the best-kept secret there is out there in horticulture <laughs> um, because it being is... a community radio program, the people just don't know about the station no, they as don't. a rule. They don't know about the station and mm. we get to sit here for almost two hours with no ad breaks yeah, exactly. and really get stuck into conundrums and mm. plant species. Yeah. Well, I regularly get people who connect with me via my work on the ABC, you know, mm. and, they, and so when they come and say, oh, we listen to you every Saturday on the ABC, and I say, well, you should be listening to us every <laughs> Sunday uh, on 3CR as well. Yeah. Um, so I'm forever plugging the program, so hopefully a few people are well, out there picking up. When I got to London, I had a message from somebody saying, see, I heard you were going to London on 3CR. I hope you have a wonderful time. Oh, good. John from Minnesota. No way. Yeah, yeah, there you go. See, we're becoming multinational. We are, I was going to say, you didn't run into Alan from England, did you? No. Our regular caller. Yeah, yeah. If she's listening, hello. And the wonderful thing is if you can't get up early on a Sunday, it's available via podcast. Yep. Lazy, lazy. <laughs> you can lie yeah, in bed and listen to us. You don't even have to get up. Bed. I do when I'm not on. <laughs> yes, Absolutely. Exactly. Get up, make a cup of tea, go back to bed. Yeah, yeah. yeah you certainly yeah. don't need to get up to listen to us. We're perfectly happy with you in a prostrate form. <laughs> <laughs> Good plant reference. Yeah. <laughs> um, this is a 3CR gardening show, but we're here until 9.15. I am Chloe Foster, and in the studio this morning, I've had Emma Heard, Virginia Haywood, and Stephen Ryan with me. Stephen, we've had a text message come in saying, could you remind us of your YouTube channel? Oh, yeah, it's the Horty, H-O-R-T-I, dash culturalists. Mouthful. Yeah, yeah, we it's a bit of a play on words yeah. and 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 probably in hindsight we would have selected something a little bit simpler. But anyhow, <laughs> it's the Haughty Culturalists and we post a video every Friday and the one this last one was about the Macedon Oak down at Cruden Farm, uh, which is a really amazing and impressive tree that Dame Elizabeth planted. Mm. Um, and it has a connection of course to Macedon because that's where the hybrid first arose. So it was a nice sort of story I was able to sort of spin around that very impressive tree. And we had a talk to Mitch Byrne, uh, or Mitch Burns, mm. uh, the head gardener down there, who's yeah. a charming guy and really enthusiastic, and they're doing some really impressive things with Cruden Farm. They that's, are, they that's are looking after it. Yeah, very and, they, well. and they're hoping to not only look after it, but to 
improve and to expand and uh, uh, they're hoping to put in a conference centre and they're hoping oh, wow. to do all sorts of interesting yep. things there so that it will become a self-sustaining place in due course. And if anybody's interested, it's open every weekday. Mm. So you can just tootle down to Cruden Farm and I think it's the first Sunday in the month or something like that. There's one Sunday that it's mm-hmm. open as well, uh, but all week. And Matthew and I were down there filming for oh, at least half the day, hardly saw anybody you know, it was a bit of a bleak old morning that we were down there, but um, it was very quiet. There was hardly anybody around. We were able to film up and down the avenue of uh, lemon-scented gums without anybody so, getting in the but, way. Mm. But this is one of the things that people seem to forget, that a lot of our gardens, our public gardens, are absolutely fabulous in winter and they're a mm. really good place to go. I mean, you don't go for a picnic, you go for a walk. Yeah. And there have always been brilliant horticulturalists associated with Cruden yeah. Farm throughout the years and, and many gardens and they're so willing to chat with you yeah. if you take the time yeah. to... Well, I'm sure if I'd, if I'd been general public and was in there and I saw something I wanted to know, I'm sure that Mitch would have been very quick to engage with me. Mm-hmm. And it was interesting because I'd sold the Quilters Guild an oak tree that was then planted at Cruden Farm to commemorate Dame Elizabeth Murdoch's 100th birthday. Um, And so I asked Mitch about it and he said, oh, I don't know, I don't know. And he went back through his records and he found that the oak I'd sold them had actually not made it, it had Mm -hmm. died, and then they'd replaced it with another variety of oak, which actually in hindsight I think is a better selection than the one I sold them in the first place, Mm -hmm. uh, to commemorate. Dame Elizabeth. Mm. So so he's got all the details there. He knows everything about the place. So it's good. Mm. And can I just say that I'm taking a walk at the RBG on the afternoon of Sunday the 14th of August and the morning of Friday the 19th of August. And you can go on walks at our botanic gardens mm. in South Yarra every day and it's worth doing. Mm. Absolutely. Fabulous way of Thanks, doing Jean. it. You can um, – Mitch Burns is a really good Instagram page. He shares photos yeah. of um, what he's doing at Cruden mm. Farm. Mm. So people can – He's a really engaging, Mitch. charming man. Yeah, I'd never great. met him until we went down there, but apparently he's been around a little bit in horticulture in different mm. uh, spheres. He worked with diggers for a while and uh, what have you. And very knowledgeable young man, very mm. nice indeed. So mm. he was very helpful to Matthew mm. and I. Well, we've still got a couple well, of a- minutes left. We did have a text message come in, um, a, a listener asking about some potholder brackets that we were talking about last week. We haven't been able to get hold of that website. Mm. I have messaged Evan and he said, Evan Golke, who was talking about it last week, he said he'll try to find a photo and we'll put it on our Instagram. Oh, good. But that listener might also want to jump onto the podcast for last week's episode as well. So you can fast forward through it or listen to the whole thing um, and get that information too if you have access to the podcast. All right. Good. Um, oh, and Emma, I want to get to this beautiful plant that you've brought in mm. in a second, but just another um, message has come in about Hakea Burundong Beauty. Um, it can be pruned as hard as you want as long as you leave some foliage. Its parents are, as Steve, as Stephen said, is Hakea myrtoides is one of them. It's a dwarf shrub with a lignotuba, Hakeopetiolaris laxa lignotuba. Um, the cold fire orig- originated at Burundong Arboretum. There is no name to that, but I'm going to guess one person who it is. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, all right. Yes, mm-hmm. good. Emma, let's talk about this beautiful plant that you've brought in. Yeah, so I've brought in a beauty berry, um, Calicapra bodinerii gerlardii. Well, that's a mouthful. Mm. Beauty berry is quite a good name, though. Yeah, <laughs> and it's it's sort of a, a lipstick purple coloured 
bracts of berries on bare stems in winter. So it's quite um, it's eye catching, and they're they're very shiny. I would mm. say it's it's almost as shiny as like a, a glossy nail polish mm. that you might apply. Mm. Um, it is, and, and it's a very dark purple. Mm. Mm. It's a fabulous plant. I like calicarpa as a genus. It's uh, mm. they're fairly hardy. Yes. And uh, very attractive plants. And the birds seem to leave the berries alone. I, I, I don't yes. think they're poisonous, but I think it's the colour. I think you're right yeah. because they don't go near them. Mm. And um, it gets about two metres. Mm. Uh, not much. You know, sometimes if it's in a nice sunny spot, you can get a touch, a fraction higher. Um, and just really lovely in the wintertime if you are like me and you let all your perennials die back completely and then you've got this shock mm. of purple. Mm. It's it's quite nice. Yeah, so I have to say in passing too that it makes a fabulous cut berry for mm, floral work. Yes. Does, how long does the berry last? Well, it lasts for, for ages. Yes. If you pick the stems, it lasts for ages. Uh, so mm. it's certainly, if you've got a nice big one, it's certainly worth picking if you're looking for some indoor decorative ideas. That's mm. a really good point. And you, you can dry it and mm. keep it for months. Mm. Yes, Beautiful. dried flowers are very useful because they show you when you need to dust. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. So you could keep them if you wanted to or don't if you don't want to yeah. be reminded about when to dust. Yeah, that's right, exactly. <laughs> All right, Stephen, very quickly. Very, very quickly. Snowdrop time. Uh, Galanthuses are starting to flower now. This one's Galanthus magnet, which is one of the hybrid ones. Uh, They're lovely little bulbs, and they're not that hard to grow. It's just that they're small, so they're always uh, under risk for people who've got big forks and big feet. (laughs) Uh, But if they're in a spot where they're left alone, they're fabulous. And the hellebores are coming out. So Mm. uh, remember Peter Lee's nursery over at Ashbourne. He's open every uh, Sunday during the winter. And some of the new forms are just amazing looking things with their double flowers. Yeah, it's good. The newer forms are becoming more upright, which is a <laughs> lovely a thing to see. Yeah. 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 So I think that hellebore is a great winter flowering perennials for the garden. So and now would be I, a good time to go and have a look. Can I advise from a design perspective, if you're planting your hellebores, if you've got a retaining wall or a sunken garden, plant them up higher so yeah. that you can appreciate the flower more. Mm. Yeah, so you can sort of look into it. Yes. And as a cut flower, they're fantastic just floating in a bowl. Yes. yes. They don't pick terribly well long stems, but yeah. if you just pick the flower heads and then float them in a bowl, of course, mm. they're looking up at you and they're just stunning. Yeah. That is quite lovely. All right, well, we've... We, we're, we're getting close to the We end, are right? getting close. Um, thank you all for your knowledge and passion this morning. Thanks to all the callers that have called in. Um, a very special thanks to Susie who took all the calls and kept us in line. Um, and a thanks to Liz and Karina who look after our socials and podcasts. Have a lovely Sunday and we'll be back at the same time again next week. Mm-hmm.